Welcome back to Dive Bar Sportscast. It is the day before Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, we've got another episode coming at you. We're talking about owners today. The impact of franchise owners, team owners, on their respective franchises and teams. So, but first we got to get something out of the way because the Super Bowl is tomorrow. We got we got who who are we winning? Who who we got winning this? Connor, I'm gonna mm. I'm gonna make you go first here, but we got to pick winners. Mm. Ah, that's a tough. That's this is probably one of the toughest calls I've had to make in a Super Bowl in a while. Both teams have played very, very well. Yeah. Um, I think realistically, I'm going to probably go with the Eagles. I feel they're a little more complete on both sides of the ball. Um, so I'm going to give it to them. Uh, no, no, no dig to Patrick Mahomes. He's played great. Obviously just won the MVP. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know if their defense can't get any stops. It's, gonna be a tough game for them. that's fair that's fair i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna take the opposite point here i'm gonna give it to the chiefs and i'll tell you why i think assuming that we're let, let's for now assume that patrick mahomes is ready to go he's obviously gonna play uh yeah i think that with a little bit of rest i i think that um you know we, ha- we certainly haven't heard any you know reports that he's gonna be you know seriously hampered by this uh previous injury so assuming he's totally healthy in a one for one shot i'm giving it to the chiefs because i think it's a it's a much more polished offense and i think that uh mahomes is going to have more control you know offensively nets i know that the better defense clearly goes to the eagles that's just not up for debate but i think that if this goes high scoring chiefs are going to win or going to uh win it ultimately so uh it just depends on i think that first quarter obviously that's you know it's going to be how things start i know that you can come back in the second half we've seen it before but i really think that uh these these are two high-powered offenses so it, yeah. and the chiefs don't exactly have a slouch of a defense you know they don't no they, not got, at all they've got players the deep better defense is in philly but i i think that the better offense is uh, gonna win this one out so we will see how that ends up uh you know we're we're uh, eagerly awaiting the game. It's going to be a fantastic game, and Rihanna's coming back mm-hmm. for the, you know, s- halftime <laughs> show. I'm excited, big fan. Um, but okay, Connor, take us away with the uh, the rest of this uh, news because there's a lot of it. Yeah. So um, obviously, the ongoing uh, legal dispute between Live Golf and the PGA Tour. Uh, Live came out this week saying that they have made uh, almost no money in revenue in 2022, which is pretty surprising bullshit first of all <laughs> bullshit they they were funded we knew this we i think they got what did they I, I saw the numbers it was like close to 800 million dollars from the saudi yeah. public fund that mm-hmm. was you know set basically funding live in their first year and everything and that's i get it they weren't gonna be making a whole lot of if any profit you know in 2022 but to say them oh we made almost zero in revenue okay that's your own damn fault at that point. You you set up to take on the PGA Tour, and this is this is this sounds a lot like hey, we slap somebody in the face and then they hit me back. And yeah, I agree. I, and with I'm you. mad about that. It's like okay, you know, you can cry all you want. You have unlimited mon- money behind you. I think the Saudi public fund is like worth like over 250 billion dollars. Like altogether, yeah, it's a gross. It's amount a of crazy money. amount. So like, they're not in any danger, and them whining to the press, especially when their their former president and uh, chief of operations, you know, just left in December, is now spilling all of the secrets to ESPN. Like, it's fantastic <laughs> to see that this is starting to teeter a little bit, because as much as I want the formats of Live Golf to succeed, the way they're going about it is just. Yeah. I, it's hard to root for them because they just sit there and uh, they smack I, uh, everyone. They they lash out at everyone that even goes near them. Mm-hmm. I'm 100% with you. It's funny to even see the way the players have turned on a dime. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the whole the drama with Patrick Reed and McElroy and <laughs> Phil Mickelson saying, oh, it would be a 20-minute match between their teams versus the PGA teams. It's just a little fucking yeah. melodrama. Yeah, I'm now. sure the PGA is really, uh, really scared of – having you know 
what is it, 19 of the top 20 in the world are still in the PGA? Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Love it. It's been, been fun to watch. Uh, moving on, obviously, uh, the NHLPA has named uh, former U.S. Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh as their new executive director. Yeah, and it's important to know that he left that position. So he, he was the U.S. Secretary of Labor, and then he left that job to become the new executive director for the uh, Players Association in hockey. That's a high-powered position he, that he was in, but, man, he's, he's certainly going to make a lot of money over in the uh, Players Association because – I know hockey's number four in revenue overall in the country, but he didn't just make that move out of the goodness of his heart. He made that move because he's about to make a lot of money. Do you think he's going to be impactful for, you know, player uh, negotiations? I think that, like that? He, I think he is. Uh, I think that uh, there's certainly like, yeah, money aside. I do think he, uh, he is a, a, a great candidate for the job. And, uh, you know, because, you're leading secretary of labor for the country chances are you can lead some labor uh, negotiations for the players association uh so he's certainly qualified and uh hey you know if he's the right man for the job i i hope that you know he can lead uh the, the hockey which has historically you know not been shy from uh ha throwing out strikes to uh you know to shut down the league uh when when they don't agree so hopefully that he can go in there and and you know keep the peace and you know, we'll we'll dive more into you know the what the players associations do for you know leagues uh, in, in this episode, but uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, staying in hockey, you know, finally got some real you know hockey sports news. Um, Vladimir Tarasenko got traded from the St. Louis Blues to the New York Rangers and scored in his debut. Um, he yeah. was super excited. He was, I mean, the the crowd in New York was chanting his name. He you know he took the pass from his fellow countryman our timmy panarin yeah. so i mean it's great to see him there i mean when he's healthy he's a 30 goal scorer and that's a that's a big player that they were able to pick up yeah he, he uh, you know he's kind of had some some weird recent years but I, I feel like the blues have as well since they won the uh the cup so uh, this is fantastic for new york it now they're going to come out swinging in an already loaded division um and they were pretty damn close last year so adding Tarasenko to that is just going to elevate him that much more so uh you know pumped to see uh certainly not a Rangers fan but hey you know yeah me neither but <laughs> it is what it is good hockey's good hockey yeah absolutely <laughs> moving over to the NBA which Ugh. we had a crazy 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 week overall I mean end of the, the trade deadline I ended on what the ninth which was yeah the ninth Thursday yeah, so we had some obviously major shift, power shifts with players moving. First one, Kyrie Irving going to the Dallas Mavericks for Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a first-round pick in 2029, and two second-round picks. What do you yeah. think about that trade? I, I think it was – the Nets had nowhere to go. This is a player on an expiring contract who was going to leave at the end of the season regardless. So he basically I mean, yeah. gave the Nets an out. Or it's like, trade me now and get something for me mm -hmm. or risk losing me for nothing. And mm -hmm. th at that point, you've got to find somebody. I, I, and, and I know there was a lot of hullabaloo, if you will, made in the media about, oh, the Lakers and LeBron didn't get Kyrie. And it's like, okay, first of all, <laughs> they were never going to get Kyrie. They don't have anything. They don't have anything right. to trade for a player like that. It right. just doesn't make sense for, you know, for them to go out and get yet another player, especially when they had at the time, you know, they had Westbrook's contract to unload. They couldn't possibly have, have made that trade work. And the Mavs, I, right now, obviously, they, it, it's what, they played two games. I know they've won them both. Kyrie's obviously. Luca, yeah. yeah. Luca hasn't played yet because he's no. still on the uh, heel injury. So, yeah, it was Kyrie just kind of being able to do his own thing. Yeah, and Kyrie, look, I, I, I implore fans everywhere to not read too far into these victories. You, it's a very small sample size. You have to see them play together. And it, the regular season is one thing. The playoffs are another. And the and the Mavs didn't go out and get Kyrie Irving to just win regular season games. So right. this is going to be interesting. I, in in my opinion, it's going to be a bad fit. I don't think you can have it's Luka Doncic fit. and 
Kyrie Irving. It's going to be the same situation. And and the thing is, is that I maybe could get behind it, but it's Kyrie Irving. And if you've seen his mindset over the last, I don't know, six years, the Mm -hmm. dude just... The dude's got basketball second or third in his mind every time. He does not really care about the game. It's what the game can do for him. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's funny every time we kind of talk about Kyrie, this, this, you know, this kind of comes up. Yeah, because it's you, you, the the question is: Does he really want to play? Does he really want to give it his all? You know, or is he going to find something about the team that he doesn't like? Whether it's the owners, the G, the GMs, the the players, he's going to find something and then demand a trade. He's done it twice now. Well, no, mm-hmm. three times. He's done it three mm-hmm. times now. I forgot about his stint with the Celtics there, and it's that's right. It, he he's done this to the point where it's like, are are teams really, really willing, really willing to take a true look at a guy and give him a long-term deal knowing that he can just walk away at any time and demand a trade because he, he's not going to give his all. And you're going to end up stuck with this guy rather than winning with him. So uh, his talent, though, is undeniable. He could be the best player on the floor at any given moment. And he, he chooses that. That's why it's so frustrating. He chooses you know, whether to be that guy or whether to have, you know, to be the guy demanding another trade. So I don't think it's going to work out for them situationally. Um, I think that this might be a rental. Uh, I could see Cuban certainly wanting to extend, you know, yeah. uh, Kyrie Irving for the, and have him be, you know, uh, just a yet another face of the franchise. But I do not see this working out on the court for very long. It's it's a situation no. where you've got to say, you know, Luca is very ball dominant. And as is Kyrie Irving and that and that can work in some respects. I know him and LeBron, it worked out, you know, and him and KD worked out a little bit. It's just he he hasn't there. There isn't a large enough sample size of anyone but the Cavaliers to really say, can Kyrie coexist on a team where he's not the number one option? And it's tough to say. Yeah, agreed. I think it's going to end up being a very weird mesh. Um a lot of things are going to be exposed. They're a very bad defensive team now. So They were before, and now they're yeah. even worse. And then they just give away all their supporting cast to get them, in, 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 yeah. plus a first-round pick. So uh, don't know about it. We'll see how, you know, how that works. But uh, And then uh, the Lakers. The Lakers, okay, so we, we were talking about how the Lakers didn't get Kyrie. Well, they ended up making a trade. They did a big three-team trade with Minnesota, and basically – paid a first round pick to unload Westbrook. Mm-hmm. Westbrook's got a massive contract and he wasn't just going to be able to go anywhere. So they paid a first round pick to unload Westbrook to the Jazz and uh ended up with Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell through the you know through the three team trade. Now that's a pretty good outcome for them except yeah. what you've got to factor in and you you can't ignore it. They paid a first-round pick to get Westbrook, so they paid to get him in, and then they paid to get him out. So they've and mm-hmm. this this is a team that didn't have first-round picks to give. So they're basically saying we're not going to draft in the first round for an entire decade. And, yeah. and you ba- and you walk away with a Mickey Mouse championship, and it's I don't I don't think that that makes you a dynasty. I don't I certainly don't think that that's what the Lakers have wanted. And look where they are; they're barely going to make the play-in if they do. Because right now it right. doesn't look like it, you know, especially now that, you know, with the next piece of news we're going to read. But I don't really think that this is the, the move. It's, and getting D'Angelo Russell back, yeah, that's huge for them. D'Angelo Russell should have never been let go in the first place. The only reason he was is because he ratted on Nick Young. So, <laughs> you know, who ended up being a piece of shit anyway. So it's a, yeah. they should have kept D'Angelo Russell, they, you know, and all that, but they didn't. So they're getting him back. Paying to get him back and and Malik Beasley, who is uh, admittedly a good player, having a great season, but yeah. ultimately uh, the Lakers just paid again. They leveraged their future, and it, it's it's not even in a win now mode. Yeah, LeBron's playing great as always, but you know, is this going to be a winning season for them? Absolutely not. No, they have a very very tough sled to just make. Yeah, like you said, the play and and the West got a lot better. Yeah, obviously with his next trade we're going to announce that I'm sure everybody who's listening has already heard. But yeah, go obviously for it. Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant going to the Phoenix Suns, 
who's who swapped Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jay Crowder, four first round picks, and a twenty twenty eight first round now, swap. Now, as a Suns fan, how do you feel about it? Honestly, I'm in pain. I, you know, on one hand, <laughs> you're. On one hand, it's like, okay, great. We're now the favorites to win the championship, but at what cost? Again, you yeah, hedge the massive part of your future. Uh, Mikael Bridges was legitimately my favorite player on that team. He was a fan favorite. I mean, just scrolling through the Suns' Instagram, a lot of people aren't happy that Bridges had to be in that trade. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it makes us a super team now. It gives us a chance to win the West, win the championship. I mean. Yeah, and I – look. This is a thing where I saw I feel I feel for you as a Clippers fan. I remember when I got the news that Kawhi Leonard was coming and then we traded for Paul George and I was really happy until I saw who we traded, which was Shea Gilgis Alexander, who ultimately yeah. now is top five scoring. He is an amazing player. And we we knew that Clippers fans that followed Shea from the time he got drafted to, you know, his first season, we knew. We knew that this guy was going to be, you know, a star. We didn't know quite how big of a star he was going to be, but, you know, it, it sucked to have to give him up. And the Clippers have, by the way, been searching for a point guard ever since. Then yeah. you've got – and so I feel for you in that sense where it's like we got this amazing player or players, but is this going to be what we think it is? Is it really – or is it even worth it? If you win just one, is, th is that worth it? Right. Yeah, that's that's the line I'm now telling is one. Now the pressure is we have to win this year or next year. And if we don't, we have now completely pissed away our future, gave away great players for a guy who's I mean, 34. So he's 34. Yeah. And the last time he played 82 games in a season was like four seasons ago. And yeah. when he's on the court. Great. That's awesome. But four first rounders. That's tough. That's tough. Yeah. And this isn't a uh, – and I know they've got – you know, I know they got Booker. I know they got CP3 and they got Aiton. But yeah. you you have to wonder, you know, it's like I, teams are starting to do this more and more and more. It's literally – the meme is going around, for, especially for the NBA. Teams, are, you know, are really just trading picks away. And you'll see the memes fly around on the internet going, fuck them picks. And it's like, right. guys, you're not understanding. Do you want to be the one-and-done team – like the Lakers, or do you want to be a dynasty that competes every season like the Grizzlies right now, where it's like they're building a team and they're still young. They're going to be great for seasons to come. And that's the, 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 the line you tow when you trade away these picks because it may be easy to say for the Suns. They could realistically go, what were those picks going to be worth? If we were constantly right. really good in the West but not good enough to win, what were those picks right. going to be worth? But you know what? The amount of talent coming out of college basketball right now is astronomical. Because mm -hmm. you got to understand, college basketball is an intensely competitive space. And these guys, it doesn't matter. It's not like uh, college football where really the school you go to, it, it, the, having that pedigree really matters because it's the level right. of competition you face. In basketball, mm -hmm. that's just – the competition is everywhere. And it's mm -hmm. a more individually talent-based sport. So Correct. one player can dominate on the court. And if you've got that player, you're, you, suddenly your fortunes turn around. Four first-round picks. What if in one of those was the next Kevin Durant? You know, right. you never yeah. know. So you're leveraging your future to get a player who essentially at this moment is trading off his name. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's a weird, yeah, it's a weird feeling as a Suns fan. I mean, we had obviously made the finals a couple seasons ago. One, you know, we're the best team in the league last year, and then kind of fell apart. So it, we were building. It was a slow burn, but it was a young core, so it feels weird. And now it feels more pressured that now we just have to win. And, and I don't, I don't like being in that position of trade everything to win now. And it's also got to be confusing, or, or not or confusing, but it's like, is this how it's going to be? Because that was the first official move of brand new Suns owner Matt I uh, Ishbia. Yeah, he literally was confirmed on Wednesday. And, I mean, he had been talking. Basically, he had been to a bunch of the Suns games, and he'd been telling fans, oh, I'm getting either Kyrie or Kevin Durant. He wanted to make a big splash. He obviously wants to make a huge impact in his first season and show the fan base or, I don't know, maybe even the league of everybody, like, watch out, I'm here, we're going to win. So, 
and that it, it really that you know leads into today's topic with you know that we'll dive into because the last piece of info uh, for the news this week was you know the Browns owners the Haslam's uh, Jimmy and D Haslam are they're basically in talks right now to get a, a 25% stake in the Milwaukee Bucks in the NBA. So mm-hmm. just another, they're reaching out, they've got the money, they're trying to gain more ownership and diversify their, you know, their, their interests. Yeah. And it kind of leads in because today we're talking about the impact of team owners on their franchises. Because look, they own the team. I know that the, in the mm-hmm. NBA they they call themselves governors now and and whatever, but like <laughs> don't be fooled. They own the teams and across every sport. We're gonna be mainly we're gonna be talking about the you know the four big ones: the NFL, MLB, NHL, and NBA. But uh, you know this this goes far beyond. Uh, you know it goes everywhere. The team owners have the ultimate say. I, I know that it seems like okay, hey. You know, they can either be really involved or not, but that's a personal preference. That's they have the option. You know, I know it's a little different when there are groups of owners, like when it's run, you know, maybe like, for example, the Dodgers, the Guggenheim partners came in. So there's multiple owners, but they have a controlling in Mark Walter. It varies. But the point is, is that the ultimately the owners have the say over the team. So what we want to do today is really explain the effects that owners have had over their respective franchises and really define that balance of power because it can it can seem like oh hey maybe the players are they gaining more power are they not so we're gonna you know we want to really dive into that because look they're dominating the owners are dominating headlines way more in the last couple of decades and i know that's easy to say because of you know uh social media but it it seems like the the outspoken owners can never just shut up and yeah they can't turn it off they can't turn it off and so because of how much power they wield it's you know it it can it can make or break your franchise depending on who buys it and that's mm-hmm. that's crazy to to have an entire team completely dismantled or completely you know you know enabled to be you know a championship caliber by one person or a group of people that is wild so we uh you know first we we kind of said it already but owners control everything they own the team i i think that's that goes without saying but they own the team so they can be as involved or not involved as they choose and we have some examples here. We kind of want to go through the, uh, you know, uh, some of the throughout the leagues. But let's let's take the NBA since we're we're talking about them already. Mm-hmm. You know, I think everyone, whether you follow basketball or not, remembers the name Donald Sterling. Donald Sterling. Okay. I'm a Clipper fan, so this is personal for me. But Donald Sterling was the owner of the Clippers for basically 45 years, and. They and every single one of them terrible. Donald Sterling bought this team uh, on the advice of his friend Jerry Buss. Jerry Buss basically told him, "Hey, look, I bought the Lakers, turn them into a championship team. Look at how much fun I'm having. You're you're a billionaire. You're you're rich. Go ahead and buy yourself a team. You won't regret it." Well, Sterling bought this team uh, that was the San Diego Clippers. Uh, moved fr- originally from uh, Buffalo, the Buffalo Braves, and he moved them uh, after a couple of seasons to Los Angeles illegally, mind you. Um, and because Donald Sterling is an attorney, he threatened to sue the league, so they let him do what he wants, and they never really touched him uh, for a long time. You know, he and he really he took that team and did nothing with it. He never wanted to pay players. He never wanted to expand. Never wanted to get good management in there, good coaching. He. He just wanted his courtside seat. And I know that that can seem like, oh, cool, that's just, you know, your opinion. Look, take a look, folks. I'm talking the Clippers in 2000 were, uh, were named the worst sports franchise ever. <laughs> ever. I mean, we're talking about a team that has routinely, you know, just barely, if, if even reaching the 20-point win or 20-win total, you know, in an 82-game season. They've lost so many games over the years. I mean, in 1980, uh, 98 to 99, they, they went 9-41 and in a shortened season. But, like, it's just ridiculous 
to, you know, uh, they were just absolutely terrible. And um, an absolute majority of that was uh, because of Donald Sterling. Sterling just, look, you only get, in, in a basic investment, if you're not going to invest your time, your money, your effort, it's not going to succeed. And that goes from everything to a, you know, a lemonade stand to a, to a uh, you know, an NBA franchise. And mm-hmm. Donald Sterling refused to put in any effort at all. He wanted his courtside seat, and that was it. He wanted to own this team. And it was because his business was real estate. He didn't give a damn. So it was just about owning the team and watching his uh, investment, the team, just rise because of its the, the location it was in, Los Angeles. So there were instances of him, you know, Going, you know, getting a little bit, uh, you know, ballsy, if you will, uh, for for Donald Sterling, um, in the mid two thousands and and all that, when he spent a little bit of money to get Elton Brand and all that, but and, and toward the end of his tenure, uh, you know, with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, but ultimately, he he didn't care, and it and the results showed. Then in comes Steve Ballmer, and things change. There's an immediate impact. He comes in and and I, he does what a lot of great owners do, and we're going to describe a lot of them, and they kind of all have the same quality. They hire really good and talented management, and then they back away. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think that's what it is. You, mm-hmm. you go for it, Connor. I think it's important, like i've mentioned before it's important to have an alignment you know from the top down like your owner has his idea and that he just says he goes you know football's the easiest one i want a good offensive line and i want a good defensive line the gm goes out and he gets those guys and the coach goes i know how to coach these guys i know how to make this system work we go win same with basketball i want either good post play i want good three and d guys or i want to be fast and run the wing stuff like that and it's just top down just the owner going, okay, I'm going to sign off on these moves. You go and find the guys, and then the coach gets them to work together. Exactly. That's, I think, just the simplest way to make a team work. And, look, you can you can have success, you know, and still – even even when you're involved. I mean, look, just look at the other – you know, the other team in Los Angeles. The, the Well, I say that, and, they're, you know, I'd get hit for saying that. But the, uh, the main team in Los Angeles, the Lakers. The Lakers were owned by Jerry Buss. For the majority of, of you know their their time their existence, and he turned them into just a fucking dynasty, just a, a massive dynasty, through sheer effort, will, and investment. He was never shy about being. Hey, look, he listened to his management. He listened to his coaches. He listened because being the owner doesn't mean that you're the smartest guy in the room. It just means you have the most right. money. That's all that really mm-hmm. means. That, and being that rich is all it is. And being rich isn't the same as being smart. Don't let anyone tell you that. Because and look, Jerry Buss was a smart man. So he listened to his, you know everyone around him, you know, in his organization and made the appropriate moves to turn his team into a long-lasting dynasty before, you know, he unfortunately passed away and then his daughter took over and ran that team into the ground. Uh, railroaded yes genie bus has for all intents and purposes railroaded this team uh yes you can oh they won a championship in 2020 whatever look at the entire outside of that one year what look at it all it's it's they're in the headlines every other year because of the, the expectations not being met and you know just terrible you know oh the, the they can never seem to reach the heights that they should yeah, because Genie Bus and Rob Palenka have absolutely, you know, decimated Jerry Bus's dream, and mm-hmm. that shows Genie Bus. You cannot like I don't even think of Rob anymore. I only think of the moves going through Genie because she's uh, so often interlaced with the the headlines of the major moves because she's so involved. Whereas mm-hmm. most of the things that you hear from the Clippers these days. Yeah, Ballmer's the big name, but he's not the one making the moves. That's Lawrence Frank, the, the right. you know the president of the team. He's the one making the moves, and Ballmer's just the guy under the net cheering his cheering his ass off. So right, you hire good management that people that know what they're doing, and you let them work, and that's been shown. I mean, look, look over to baseball. Look at the uh, you know look at Art Moreno. 
We've been we've oh, talked about God. him a few times for the Angels. He took over the Angels about right after they won the the championship in in uh, two thousand or in two thousand two. Two thousand two. Yeah. They won the World Series. Art Moreno buys them, and they yeah they coasted a little bit off of uh, Sosha willing them to uh, you know to the playoffs, but ultimately it was a, le- a very long and slow death for the Angels yes. to where they slow, are now, which slow. is just like turmoil. You've got <clears throat> Trout probably regretting his decision. You got Otani looking to leave. Art Moreno tried to sell the team, couldn't apparently couldn't find anything that he want you know that was worth it. And just decides to, you know, oh, I'm going to retake. There's unfinished business. Of course there's unfinished business. Yeah, you haven't done off. anything, Art. I can't believe that. I am still I'm still seething of course. about that. Yeah. You know, say, so, so, oh, we couldn't leave. The, I couldn't leave the fans. Fuck off. You didn't care about the fans. I can't. I, I mean, you want to talk about a team that's going to be dead in five years? Look at the Angels. Otani's yeah. going to be gone. Trout's probably going to be gone or he's going to retire. We have nothing, you know. It, he's not he's yeah. not going to open up the purse strings and let us pay players that we need to pay. He is a cheap cheap bastard. Well, the problem is, is is that he's he's a cheap bastard in some area in most areas, but he's he's he has this expensive taste for certain players that he goes out and oh. gets when they're at their highest name value to fill seats. He look yes. Josh Hamilton, CJ uh-huh. Wilson, going yeah, yeah. out and get even Pujols to an extent. Correct. Correct. You know, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Then he goes out and gets, uh, you know, it, it's like, he, look, they spent money on Trout wisely. They spent money on Otani wisely. But it, there have been so many players that have come through that organization since Art Moreno has been the, the owner that it they just haven't been able to make anything work at all. And that's, nope. I uh, to see that is just, and they still have a terrible farm system. Being that yep. bad and then still you know not being able to build up just shows it's like because art you know controls everything behind the scenes i you you can't get anything done they bring in joe madden and then they they cut him before he can even really do anything you know and and ever since Socha left no one's wanted to to really take a crack at this team because there's nothing that they can do meanwhile i mean look look over there well, first of all he changed the name of the team Went from Anaheim Angels to Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, now to the Los Angeles Angels, whatever. It just shows you that he has complete and utter control over this team, and he's been fighting the city of Anaheim the entire way. Then you go over, look at Los Angeles, look at the Dodgers. Dodgers, for a while there, when they, when they were owned, owned by Frank McCourt, were in oh. dire straits. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about they, they getting fourth or fifth in the West every year. And it was just it was laughable to to watch you know th- this team go out and tr- try their best you know and I it j- again when McCourt owned it you look at and go okay terrible but now you think of the Dodgers and you it, it's synonymous with winning in the last decade and a half that's because yeah. the Guggenheim partners came in and you know Mark Walter with the controlling interest they they hired the right managers and the right executives, and then stepped away. They are the money, and that is it. If you want to win, again, look, the Dodgers won the World Series. They're competitive in the World Series, or at least the playoffs, every year, it seems. And, yeah, they've got a lot of money. I understand. It's it's a it's an example. That's, it's Los Angeles. It's the number one market in the world. I get it. But mm-hmm. understand that they, they were losing with the number one market. They were losing when Frank McCourt had them because he – he wasn't hiring the right people, and he was heavily involved in every decision. You, and Correct. So when the Guggenheim partners come in and just outright change the entire playbook, suddenly everyone, they, they haven't missed the playoffs in, uh, in 10 years. So, yep. And they've won the division nine out of those 10 years. So you've, mm-hmm. at that point, you've got you know, you've to acknowledge that, when the owners get involved too heavily, if they don't know what they're doing, which is most of the time, correct, things get fucked it's, it's up. Bad. Yeah, you need continuity in your in your franchise. The Angels since two thousand and seven have had four general managers, right? So yeah. in sixteen years, every four years we get a new general manager. What kind of continuity is that? No, these guys don't think the same. They all. Are expecting something different, and they're inheriting a team, which takes about a season or two for them to get their guys in. 
and then they only have two years and then they're gone. Yeah. It's, you know, it, you can't, you can't work like that. That's a part of the reason the angels are decimated everywhere because they don't have any continuity. They have no long-term vision and you yeah. need long-term vision in a franchise. Yeah. And that starts with the owner. The owner has to be the long-term vision and he needs to find guys who work with that. And then he lets them work and make it happen. Look, it's like a company. So, it's a look it, uh, being an ownership in a franchise uh, having ownership. It, it's just like any company. It starts at mm-hmm. the top. If you've got an owner or a CEO or whatever that doesn't have the right vision, it's not going to work. Second of all, if they have that, even if they have the right vision, if they're not allowing their their you know basically employees to work and work and create this vision, it's how is anything going to get done? You can't. There's right. this. There's this. You know. It persists along decades and decades over time of the oh I'm just gonna do it myself. You want anything done, you got to do it yourself. That's bullshit. That is mm-hmm. bullshit. Life is about collaboration, folks. Life is yes. about cooperation. And in it, look at the teams. It just shows you have a lot of working parts. And if you think that one guy is gonna come in and transform everything on his own, it's not going to happen. You have to work together with uh, you have to allow, allow the people that you hire you have to trust them and mm-hmm. people like art moreno frank mccourt donald sterling they, they either didn't care or didn't trust you know their people to do the job and, and you know even over in uh, you know like look at basketball i mean not basketball football if you look at football who have been some of the stalwart names throughout in the the entirety of the nfl first one comes to name uh the rooney family the of the pittsburgh Correct. steelers They've been they've been the owners since what? Uh, for, uh, let's see. I think they like the late 40s, early 50s that they took over. Actually, it was late 50s. And ever since then, they've turned their fortunes around. And now they're, they're, they're the premier you know, organization in the NFL. Yeah, they may not win every single year, but they're always going to be competitive and always Correct. coming back because the Roonies know that when they hire general managers, they let them run that team. When they hire coaches, they let them run that team. They're not going to stick their beak in unless they absolutely have to. And then you can see the other side of that, too. I mean, even Jerry Jones, uh, you know, is a fantastic owner. As much shit as we give him for, you know, the outlandish and dumb shit he may say in the news, I mean, he really – he goes out to bat for his – the players he gets, the owners he gets. I mean, he he goes out to build a squad that can win. I mean – do they always know? You know but you cannot the deny the man's heart. You cannot right, deny exactly. that he wants his team to win. He will invest where he has to. He will pay his players. He will he'll go out and find everything he can to make his team a winner. And, again, whether they win or not, the ultimately, he will always do that and he'll always try. And so you got to give him props for that, regardless of what the decisions that you know he makes along the way. He, it's, Correct. It's, you know, yes, he's a very he's he's in the news a lot when it comes to the Cowboys, but the you know he's still making good decisions, and the Cowboys are still able to thrive. It's not like anyone's saying that they, that it's a toxic work culture or anything, which can't be said for their division uh, rivals, the the Commanders. The Commanders yeah. quite possibly have the worst owner in sports right now, the most hated owner in sports, Dan Snyder. Mm-hmm. Dan Snyder, real piece of shit, is absolutely terrible and he's the worst kind of terrible which is i'm gonna take everyone down with me Mm -hmm. and he's swinging for the fences on everybody i look if you just look at the you know the commanders and you know back when they were the redskins as well it's just it's never been good they haven't won double digit you know they haven't won uh double digit wins in a season in the last decade yeah. It's it's been terrible. They've always gotten third or fourth in the division. They've they've just been awful. And Snyder is a major reason for that. He is so heavily involved in team in in the day to day that it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, to sit there, it's like it's like. Can you just imagine for a second doing doing a you know a, an entry level job and having the CEO look over your shoulder the entire time? It's ridiculous. Correct. You can't get anything done. Yeah. They've got to sign off or anything. There, there's no efficiency. There's no, no, you know, there's there's no cooperation, collaboration. You're not getting the best ideas in the room. You're only getting Dan Snyder's, and his are terrible. 
So yeah, the terrible things that have gone on. That talk toxic workplace environment. Holy shit! Oh yeah, he's just an awful person Horrible too. Things. And the sad thing is too is how is the team this bad with the amount of talent that they have? Right, you have Terry McLaurin, who's arguably probably a top ten receiver in the league right now. Yep. They have a defense with the arguably defense some of persists. the best players at their positions. Yeah. You have Chase Young. Um, what's his name? Payne. I can't remember his first name. Jonathan Allen. Mar- uh, Mont- Montavis. Well, you've got look Smith Williams. You've got um, like like. Of course, as soon as we say it, it flies right out of our head. But look, yeah, I know just I'm completely look at, blanking. Just, uh, I know their whole front seven. Just look at their. Uh, you know, all you got to do is like if you, I know that uh, like like Jarman Davis, Kevin Fuller, or Kendall Fuller. Um, the, who you were saying, Bobby McCain um, and Darren Payne, uh, yep. Jonathan Jump. Allen, and then yeah, Chase, yep. Chase Young. He's been injured, but you know it's like it's fine. Still he's still is an dominant, extremely talented player, yeah, and extremely talented. And their defense has persisted; it just has. This is you know this is a team that when you play them, you're not gonna run up the score on them, but no. their offense is gonna suffer. Gonna score. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they're like for all intents and purposes, look like they in the, even in this last season they they only scored they scored three hundred and twenty one points, not a lot, but they only allowed three hundred and forty three. That's only a twenty two point difference, you know, for a team that you know it was it finished fourth in the division. It's and had one of the easier schedules, you know, in the league. So it's like they they still had, you know, they still had defensive stalwarts that were coming forth, and and they have a lot of talent. But Dan Snyder is the kind of owner where they just can't get out from under things. And the same can be said for, like, the Cleveland Browns, uh, who have never been good except for what? You know, okay, an outlier in 2020 when they went 11-5 and with Baker. But other than that, they've been absolutely awful. They went 0-16 in 2017. Mm -hmm. In the 11 seasons since the Haslam's have taken control, of the mm-hmm. Browns, they've been 60, 119, and one, only one playoff appearance, and have had six full time coaches in that span. That's a coach yeah. every other year, basically. I mean, that's yeah. just talk about mismanaged. I mean, you said 11 years? They're just a s- 11 years, yeah. 11 years, okay. So that's, uh, let's count them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight quarterbacks, too. Yeah. Uh, actually, nine, because you got to count Watson. So nine different quarterbacks in 11 years. That, I mean, that's the story of the Browns. You know, the, the, these guys were supposed to come in. They're supposed to change the culture. They're supposed to change everything. And what do they really want to do? They just wanted to own a team. Yeah. And, and that's the scary thing about a lot of owners is a lot of guys don't really care what happens. They just want the don't the clout, the accoutrements that come with yeah. That well, come one with being an, an owner. Well, teams teams are good investments because the Browns are terrible, yeah, sure. but they'd still sell for over a billion. Hmm. I mean, look at the Clippers. The Clippers were, like I said before, the worst sports franchise ever. They were named, and they still sold for over two billion dollars. It mm-hmm. these are huge investments that just keep getting more valuable as the leagues themselves generate more revenue. So, mm-hmm. it, it it's just it one it's smart business for them, but it's another way to just get some clout and and act like that you know a big dick in a locker room. That's just that's what they yeah. <laughs> they think that they are and to the detriment of the teams that they that they run because the city the fans i mean it's yeah. just disingenuous to not go out and try to you know a lot of these things are bring hope to people you know this it's a yep. it's community it's it's a rallying kind of thing obviously it's fun to be able to watch sports at a bar with a bunch of people you don't know and your team's playing well and everybody's cheering and you're high-fiving yep so just like simple things that trickle down and so it, it's it's sad to see the, uh, teams that don't perform and owners you can tell just don't care they don't and they care. lie well yeah. it's it's the it's uh, the i want to save face i don't want to improve i don't want to do anything and but i want all the glory for you know for anything that that happens that's good it, it just doesn't resonate and even in hockey look hockey's more stable i will say because there's right. you're going to have to do some research if you want to find just truly bad owners. I think the only one in the recent memory was Eugene Melnick, uh, the uh, former owner who passed away for the uh, Ottawa Senators. You know, because yeah, I mean, I mean, he what? was just a toxic. You know, I mean, if Canadians are calling you toxic, I think that uh, you know you might be a little bit toxic. 
So right, I remember, there was there was a couple of games. I remember for sure where the the fans in the stadium were chanting "Sell the team." Mm-hmm. Like, how often do you see that? That's not yeah, something that happens basically normally. Him and, him and James Dolan over at the with the Knicks and the Rangers. You know, it's like Dolan. Him and Dolan are the the two that I in, can always think of that they get yelled. You know, the the fans always chant "Sell the team." But you know, Melnick before he passed away just uh, was absolutely terrible for the team and 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 you know continually just prevented them from being anything great mm-hmm. and that's the that's the main thing is like you have to look at owners can can be fantastic and it's not a it's not a, a an immediate formula i'm not saying that oh if an owner comes in and is just ha- completely hands off their team's going to win that's no right but the examples speak for themselves all of the you know these good examples you know the Clippers turning their fortunes around, the Dodgers turning their fortunes around. You know the Steelers, uh, you know through the years, and that it's because their owners come in and they'll provide the financial backing, but they'll say, "Look, we are hiring good people, and we'll step away." I mean, if you look, you want to compare Ottawa to, you know, Ottawa. Uh, the Senators have been around uh, since '92, uh, and you know, look over at the Anaheim Ducks, who have been around since '93. Similar, you know, uh, seasons, and. The, the Ducks, obviously, they beat the Senators in that one, uh, the Stanley Cup Finals that they won. But the the Senators and the Ducks couldn't be more different in terms of fortunes. The Senators, while they had some early success, have, have just, it's just been awful. You know, they, they've experienced a downturn, and it, it was tough to get out of. Whereas the Samuelis, the owners of the Ducks, when they bought the Ducks from Disney in 05, uh, or 05, or, or 04, 05, they they really just went out and and did everything they could to find the best management and step away. They won a Stanley Cup a se- like a season and a half later, and they've been competitive <laughs> ever since. And mind you, yes, I, I'm well aware that the Ducks are in a full rebuild right now, but every team is going to go through that eventually, you know, once you experience success. So, you know re- – it's it's the mark of a team if you when you're down how do you respond? Well, when we've talked mm-hmm. about Dan Snyder and and the Haslam's and you know the the Clippers under Sterling and you know and and even James Dolan with the Knicks and the Rangers and stuff, it's like when those teams are down they don't come back up. They just don't recover no. because they don't have the infrastructure to no, really no succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't they don't have their ideas. F- their ideas for them are just spend money. Like, look at the Browns. They spent a shitload of money on Deshaun Watson, who was embroiled in a terrible scandal and was going to be suspended anyway. And he came back, did not play very well. But that was their idea of fixing this team, is spend a shitload of money. That guy could have... Just to slap a fucking bandage on it. That guy could have done anything. He could have, yeah. in broad daylight, shot someone in the face. It wouldn't have mattered. Because the Haslam's... They wanted their quarterback. They wanted someone that had a big name that they could absolutely throw in, even though, okay, Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick, and it was justified. It was probably the only quarterback they've ever drafted where I went, that's a good pick. Mm -hmm. The guy was a baller in college. There's there's just no denying it. Yeah. It was a good pick. They didn't build around him. And look what happened. No. Deshaun Watson came back after his suspension, and I know it's a short sample size, but even if you go just by the numbers by game and by pass, it it's not good, folks. He's not playing well. And it's he could come out and play well again, but the point is is that it, it, they go out these type of owners go and get big names because they think the oh, they've they, look at that. They've got the name that, that means they're good. That I'm going to go out and, and get that player. And, and you know, I'm going to sign Josh Hamilton to a 10-year deal. I'm going to sign, you know, Deshaun Watson to a 10-year deal. It's like, guys, 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 you don't know what you're doing. They don't right. – because you could have everyone in the room, and they're all the experts, and then you get the owner that comes in and overrules them all. Dan Snyder did mm-hmm. – the draft plan for the commanders gets thrown out every single year. And you can see it. They have cameras in the room. And you can literally see the entire group just turn over and look at Dan and being like, what's this guy going to decide? Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what the experts say. It's, if these toxic owners are in the room, they're going to make the decision on, based on a feeling because they all treat their teams like they treat their businesses. They treat them like, oh, I, all I've got to do is work my magic because I, I, that's why I'm rich. No, it's not. <laughs> More often than not, 
why they're rich is because they were ri- their families were rich before or they really got fucking lucky. Ask Mark Cuban. That man essentially made a gamble and really won. And he'll, he'll be the first mm-hmm. one to tell you. He's a very smart individual. Quite honestly, one of the smartest owners in sports. But he'll be the first one to tell you that it was a gamble. There was no guarantee that that bubble was just going to absolutely burst, but he saw it. He saw what was going to happen, and he made it. He took a gamble out and got his money. But guess what he also didn't do? He didn't go and buy the Mavs and just outright dominate every decision. No, he makes... He, he, he hired the right people. Yes, he's involved because of, you know, he's, he's in the headlines because of who he is and his appearances on Shark Tank and whatever, but he lets, he lets his teams, you know, run and function, and they've experienced success. He won, you know, quite honestly, one of the most memorable NBA championships in NBA history, you know, against mm-hmm. a loaded, you know, team with the Heat. So it's like you can have success. You can have a visible owner and have success. But you, what you, you just don't. They don't need to be so actively involved because more often than not, that, that re- usually you know means that the team is going to experience a lot of hardship, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. what we haven't talked a lot about yet, uh, which you know, uh, unfortunately, it's come to the tail end here. But talking about the players, is there a balance between the players? I honestly. I think players are gaining a little bit more power than they've historically had. Yes. But I don't think it's in the way, uh, you know, right right now, obviously, if there's a strike or whatever, the Players Association and the owners, they can, they can be at each other's throats and have what mm-hmm. seems to be equal power. But I think where you're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, power shift is in individual players. I think the yes, the NBA Players Association is one thing, and then if you just look at LeBron James alone, that man wields incredible power and influence over the league. And the same thing could be said for Tom Brady in the, when he was in the NFL. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's like these, these kind of players, they hold a lot of individual power, and, of course, they're going to use it for themselves and make sure that they are succeeding in their own right. But where I, what I'd like to see is a little bit more cooperation in the players' associations because that y- there could be an actual balance here because there's only a couple of options. If you really want to cancel out, because I think like whenever there's a conflict uh, between you know owners and players, m- make no mistake, my personal opinion is I want it to be the players that win out every time. I don't really mm-hmm. care about the owners. They're billionaires. No. And anyone taking a right. bullet for a billionaire is an idiot. So yeah, I just don't care what happens. Look, oh, they're poor investments. Oh, boo-hoo. They, they, they probably paid, you know, it's like look at some of these teams that pay a couple hundreds of millions and walk away with billion-dollar investments. Like, don't, don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. I want right. the players to win out ultimately because regardless of what, the money is there, folks. If you take the NFL, the money is there. Do you want it to go to these billionaires? Or do you want it to go to these these individual players? And I know that it can be easy to say, well, that guy makes $40 million a year to throw a ball. Yeah, but the owner of the team is making a lot more. Right, and to do a lot less. To do He's a not lot taking hits. Less. He's not taking hits. He's not doing any of the extraneous shit anything. that it takes to be a professional athlete. Dude could so. sit in a room. That, uh, it, most of these owners could just sit in a room. Actually, all of them. Every single owner in sports could sit in a room with no windows and no doors in a chair and make more money than I have ever make or w- ever made or will ever make in my entire life in one year mm-hmm. simply by virtue of who they are and, and their, their status and the, the, the things that they own. So do not think that, Oh, I have to, we have to think about them <laughs> a little in the sense of their, like wh- how their role in the situation. But ultimately I want the players to take more control. The only problem, and I, because I wrote, I, I, one of the solutions that, you know, I was kind of mulling over my head was, all right, well, what, what does the league itself, you know, could there be, you know, a separation of power style balance between the league and the players and the owners and all that, you know, across all kind of leagues? And for, for, I mean, there is a little bit of that. But I right. go back I mean, and yeah, forth you got on that. Players' associations, owners, and then the league itself. Yeah. yeah, I go back and forth on that because when you look at like 
there's just not a great example of the league usually running things well. I mean, do I really right. want Rob Manfred to have more control in the in Major League Baseball? Hell no. I think no. the man is it doesn't have a, a, a an intelligent thought in his brain. <laughs> and and it's like and you look at Adam Silver in the NBA, what looks like just this guy was going to come in and dominate with intelligence and logic. He which which he did with in the beginning with Sterling. He has he's just they put him there for one reason. He's got a business mind. So it you, what you really want to see in the NBA or the NFL, NHL, all these leagues is you want to see a good balance. And you want to, and more importantly, you want to see it's entertainment. You want to see mm-hmm. the most the, the best competition you can possibly see. So it's a struggle to really think about how to make this better, but ultimately what I usually come back to is it's probably got to be the players. Because if you look at the Players Association, I would much rather have uh, just a ton of people making a decision where they can all come together and decide versus someone who is unilaterally making a decision that affects everyone. Mm-hmm. So, Because if you, if you shrink down, because it's like players, yeah, there are a ton of players in each league. Get to owners, yeah, there's usually about 30, around 30 about owners 30. in each league. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the direct league control, which usually falls to the commissioner. I don't want it to be at that point. If by those numbers, I'd, I'd rather have it be the players. And I know mm-hmm. that the players can, they're they're the most visible parts of the league. They're the representatives of of their respective leagues. So it can be Correct. very easy to point the finger at them and say that oh, you know, they're already getting a lot. <sighs> Not by comparison. Mm-hmm. So. Personally, I mean, what do you think about that? Personally, because, I, I, again, I'm, I'm thinking players here, but w- what do you think? No, I think players, too. I mean, they're the, ones who, they're the ones who have to put the work in. They're the ones who have to take a lot of the brunt of criticism. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it's a lot of it, – it is a lot of shit that we kind of forget when we see how many zeros they make in their checks to play a game. True. Which, yeah, is tough, but how many of us – you know, let's be real. How many of us wake up at 3, 4 a.m., go work out, go to shoot-arounds, have to maintain our diets, have to, you know, another workout, another shoot-around, film? I mean, it it is a very grueling job. And then you have yeah. to, you know, travel. So I, I don't feel as bad when you really break down the amount, the contracts. Yeah. Yes, it is an egregious amount of money, but there is a lot of work, and these guys have been working their whole lives for it. I'd rather have them be in control and have a say in what affects them more personally than when owner who, you know, gets to sit in a box all day, isn't in the day-to-day meetings, isn't, you know. Yeah, I agree with you. I it, it's at the, at the end of the day, who's putting their their the actual effort forth? Uh, it's it's right. mostly the players. So, Mhm. I think that as the Players Association, you know, as those grow in power, I think you're going to see more, you know, there's more of a balance. And when these owners, it's like, guys, sit back and collect your money mm-hmm. at this point. That's kind of how I feel. It's like, you know, let let the league <sighs> and, the, and the players duke it out for, for rules and shit like that. But the owners, you know, coming together and they've already got a lot of power. Yeah, for and they exercise it most oftentimes for no reason. So they can have such an effect, though. I mean, you know, like everything we've been saying, there's just so much influence that they wield, and they can make or break a team. So ultimately, the the players. I'm glad the trend has slowly been. I think it's slowed in in the recent like couple of years, but the re, the trend over the last decade and a half has been. Players gaining more and more influence and power. Yeah. And guys, I hope that continues. Guys are definitely a lot more willing to fight with the owners if they feel things yes. are not going their way or they're not being treated correctly and now, they're not afraid to speak out. I, You know, the, obviously the trade kind of epidemic of guys forcing trades is becoming a little outlandish, but that's yeah. probably for another episode too. My main thing with owners, though, is I feel like more than anything is you're the steward for your city, right? Yep. You are a big part of the community. I mean, look at the Buffalo Bills. I think they're a very, very great example of what a 
professional team does for their city yes in rallying the city around them and giving people a thing to look forward to giving a team i mean giving hope they do a lot so more than anything you're just a steward for your city you know being a good example of your city being a good example of your the people in your city taking care of them that should be more what it is not about making money as much absolutely agree with that because you've you've never truly look we're you know um I'm originally from California, Connor. You, we're both from California. You still live in California. Correct. It's e- easy when you're in an area that maybe has more than one sports team, or it's kind of right. a, a spread out area. It's it's easy to see. Uh, it's easy to forget, you know, how much impact they have on their communities. But when you go to a team, when you go to a, a city like Baltimore or Pittsburgh or Buffalo, and you see how dominant of a force that these teams are, I mean. Pittsburgh, the entire city is basically black and yellow for, you know, Mm -hmm. for all their teams in Baltimore. You can't go one block without seeing something for the Ravens. You know, it's these, these, these teams have, uh, are, are such a, a light in all of the, for, for people. And it's so, because sports are fun. Sports Mm -hmm. are fun to root for, fun to watch, fun to get excited about, angry about. Doesn't matter. It's, it's a great time. There's, I some of the best times I've ever had, and the whole reason we started this podcast is because of just talking sports with with each other, with our friends, and and just mm-hmm. having you know because it's fun to talk about. I know it's entertainment, and you can write it off if you want, but look, sport sports are fun, and the you know and the impact that these teams have on their respective cities, you know, it it, it can't go unnoticed. So the and the owners are at the heart of that. They can choose to, you know, really elevate that or they can choose to, you know, just being a, a negative, you know, have a negative impact. And, you know, you're sitting there and you're not filling seats and you're not and, and the team just wastes away. You know, I, I feel like that's starting to, you know, move away as well with all the high profile, you know, so sales of teams over the years. Mm-hmm. And I feel like owners are starting to get a little more serious. But, you know, they do have a lot of power. I mean, Matt, like we said at the beginning of the podcast uh, of this episode, Matt Ishbia, day one, goes out and makes this trade for Kevin Durant. He, and, and you can see it in the articles. He, he was, it wasn't going to happen. He made one more phone call, and all of a sudden the, the trade talks were, were heating up. It, they do have a lot of power, regardless of whether they flex it or not. So I think that really – you know, this trend, again, I, I kind of hope the players really, uh, you know, move forward and, and, and take more control in the leagues and that these owners understand that they're going to get their investment either way. You know, you can be – what kind of person are you going to be? Are you going to be the kind of person that, that is a positive impact on the city and the in the entire league, or are you going to be negative? Because, I mean, the the NFL for, with the Roonies, the Roonies have, have been such an impact, like a positive impact on the league and for things like equality. And, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it just it, the Rooney rule, you must hire, you must go out and hire or, or you must interview everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just sit there and you, if you're going to interview, you know, 10 white guys and eh, can't do that. You got to have, right. you know, diversity and diversity rules. Owners have an impact, and you can be that kind of person if you choose to be. So, mm-hmm. well, you know, we, we hope that, uh, you know, more owners will ultimately uh, choose to be positive lights on their teams and their cities and their leagues. Um, but that, uh, you know, that's that's up to them. <laughs> that's because it you really can also be a Dan Snyder or a James Dolan or a Eugene Melnick and, and be an mm-hmm. absolute, you know, just a, a – a tarnish you can just tarnish the, your, your team and the league and yeah. until someone else it sucks to be a part of those franchises it's exactly I mean, it sucks to be an angels fan right now it's yep you know it's a it's a, it is a great franchise it's a great is small community still i mean a very valuable franchise but i mean it's a, it's it's an anaheim it's not yeah. a big city yeah so. so yeah but uh we you know we thank you so much for uh listening to today's episode uh, and we uh, we hope that you'll uh, stick around for more episodes as we've uh, gotten more into a, uh, gotten into more of a rhythm, uh, you know, of releasing 
you know, I hope we hope that everyone enjoys the Super Bowl tomorrow and uh, catch us next week for the uh, the episode. Of, we're going to do our big February sports update, kind of go over everything for across all the leagues, catch everyone up before uh, diving in on the uh, episode after that to talk about the UFC and boxing and, 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 and also boxing and talking about championship fights, folks. Does the champ need to be the aggressor? Do they need to mm-hmm. how how is boxing? How is UFC? All these how are fights scored? How are you know, I can't tell you how many times I've watched a fight where you sit there and go, How why'd they score why'd they grade that twenty eight twenty nine? What what the mm-hmm. what the hell? How do they all agree? We're gonna dive into the point structure. We're gonna dive into championship fights as a whole and talk about uh UFC and uh, boxing title fights. So uh, we hope you'll tune in for uh, for both of those episodes. But until then, cheers, sports fans. Cheers.